There is one thing about being a great podcast host, but also there is one thing about understanding your market and being a thought leader in your own category. And then your podcast is even more relevant because you're a trustworthy source. I can hear you gently bowing on your violin. That's no sin. Welcome to the new season of the Geopets podcast, where we talk to people who have a few different cultures in them, around them running through their heads. And we talk to them about books, podcasting, coffee, writing, and language. Today is a podcasting show of all the shows that we have on the Geopets podcast. And I hope you're thirsty because we are talking to Emily Steckenborn from the Bottled in China podcast. Emily has lived in China for over eight years as a wine educator and consultant for some of the biggest names in the industry. She's currently head of education Asia at Treasury Wine Estates. She develops programs for frontline staff across China, where her team trains hundreds of thousands of drink enthusiasts across Asia. She currently serves as China Eastern Airlines official wine consultant for first and business class and has her own wine and food podcast called Bottled in China that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, without further ado, let's just listen to Emily because she is a force to be reckoned with in the friendliest way possible. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining us on the Geopets podcast, global podcasting show. Of course. Thanks so much for the invitation. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your podcasting self? Like where, what is your podcast? Where is it? That kind of information. Right. So I have a food and wine podcast that I started in 2016 and it's called Bottled in China. And the goal was to really share some stories about people in the industry about what's really going on in the food and beer and wine scene. I just felt that every time I went back home um, to North America, everybody had their own opinion about what was happening in Asia and especially was very critical in regards to anything that was about food and wine. As you would expect, they thought that everything was dirty or they thought that all wine was fake. And I just felt that that really wasn't what was going on in China. And it was such an evolving spot in terms of gastronomy that I really wanted to bring that to light. And I wanted to share in real time because I really do think podcasts provide a quite a, an honest opinion and straightforward way to send that message that, in fact, there's so much going on in China. And in terms of a food perspective, this is the place to be. So if you're a foodie, you're a wine lover, I mean, it's so exciting right now. So that was the goal, was to shed a little bit more light on what's going on here in China and also to showcase the talent because there's so many people in in China right now, chefs or even winemakers that are emerging and I think that are really becoming world-class. So that was the goal. And we will be spending most of the time actually talking about the, the podcast, your podcasting experiences and all of that kind of stuff. But I am curious, how long were you into wines before you started the podcast? Right. So wine is actually my background. So I would say I'm probably a little bit less in terms of, of skills into food or beer. Um, but I've been in wine for over, oh my God, almost nine years now or 10 years. So it's been already quite a while. First, I thought wine was cool. I was really young, right? So I mean, wine, of course, is something that sounds like a very attractive job. But it was also just because it brought over everything from people, nature, and a luxury good that just delivered a moment in time that's really captured in a bottle. So there's just so much to it. But I actually uh, started off my career uh, in the wine industry 
And then this podcast came to light after I did a Cordon Bleu in Paris. And that brought out kind of the food side of it all. Um, and I found that it would be great to share those stories with everybody. Cordon Bleu is one of the top culinary programs in Paris. And I guess it's the equivalent of the CIA, but not, you know, not the FBI CIA, but like the culinary, right? Cul gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> the non-political food. <laughs> completely non-political. It's Culinary Institute of America. Um, but I guess when you say it like that, yeah, you must be terrified. I, I'm not a spy. I'm just somebody that likes yeah. to eat. <laughs> <laughs> that was for wine or that was for food in general or restaurant tiering or you can tell my kind of non-expertise in this field. So I do apologize for the, that. The degree itself is actually quite unique because I mean, how French is this? I mean, let's be honest. It's to criticize chefs, right? So the entire program is kind of researching the art of gastronomy, which is food and wine and culture, and then being able to really look at any food and judge it for its quality, which I'll be honest with you, isn't that just the most French degree you've ever heard of? It's basically the art of complaining for, you know, gastronomy, which is what I think it is. That but, yeah. is beautiful. That is so beautiful. Right. It's very French, but it probably pushes the industry forward in a way that is needed. So why not? Right. And I, I mean, you need somebody who's going to cook and you also need somebody who's going to judge it, right? So the industry wouldn't be the same without it. But, um, but it was actually really fascinating because, it, you know, it wasn't only just fun. It was a really great chance to look at the history of food and then also uh, doing a, a research paper in which I think really opened our eyes to the subject that we wanted to go and, and dive into. Wow, I had no idea such program existed. That's pretty amazing. Well, if you're into <laughs> criticizing now and food, <laughs> now you know what's for you. <laughs> Did you have any podcasts going before you started Bottled in China? So I didn't. So when I started, it was really at the end of 2016, basically the first day of 2017. So probably best said it was 17. But that's, I think, really when it just started to emerge and podcasting was still relatively new. And I did it because I was a horrible writer and I was too embarrassed to do any video And so I think that that was a great alternative to be able to share these stories. And also, every time I tried to film a video about food in China, it just, just looked horrible, right? You know, there's so much more work that has to go between doing a video. And I felt like it lost the essence of trying to convey my message because there was so much editing. It was so so structured, right? It was so scripted. And so to be able to do podcasting, it just, I guess, happened naturally in a way where that... I could just express myself, ask my questions and get an honest response and trying to do as limited editing as I needed to do to be able to really carry out the message. But it really was my partner who had his own podcast, which you've interviewed. Actually, you've actually interviewed him for China Startup Pulse, Ryan Shukin. Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> yes. So Ryan got me into it. Yeah. So Ryan got me into it and I said, well, if he could do it, I should be able to do this. Right. So um, it started off slowly and it just became more of a, a, a great project to, to have and to be able to kind of record these memories. And like you said, it's also building relationships, right? I'm sure the people that you've met in your time in China, even for yourself, it's been grown a lot of, I guess, connections from the podcast. So it not only opened up my eyes to their industry and their point of view, but also meeting great new people who are in my industry as well, where we share really common experiences. Exactly, exactly. It's interesting that you mentioned video not seeming like a good fit 
because two reasons. One, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I started a YouTube channel and a podcast at the same time, and I hated video editing because when you cut something out of a video, you have to then make it match, and that drove me crazy. <laughs> Whereas audio, nobody knows it's gone. <laughs> if you do it right, nobody knows it's gone. But video, also, your Instagram page is gorgeous. You The, um, what is it called when you just look at all of the tiles together? It's almost like a beautiful wine story with very subtle and uh, and gorgeous, almost like a, a story, like a wine story all the way down the, the post. It's, it's beautiful. So it almost looks like a video if you were to speed it up. <laughs> well, thank you. That's really kind of you. Yeah, it looks like I definitely drink too much, right? <laughs> It, now you know where the, the goal is, right? The focus is this is all the wine. <laughs> but it's it's the wine itself and the environment and kind of the classiness of what people are wearing and like there's a whole a whole vibe to it that's beautiful and relaxed that feels like it would lean towards video, but that would be harder to capture in a video. So I, I get that. Right. Well, I think as you mentioned, I think be, if you want to do video, it's a lot more time. It's a lot more investment as well because you do have to have the right equipment and then as you mentioned I do think that I'm quite critical and a little bit of a perfectionist so if the audio is not right or the lighting is not right or something then I probably wouldn't even do it at all so I do agree with you that it is so much easier to try to do video and even even Instagram at one point I guess it's you can also control that right you have that chance to change the color and filtering so it is a lot more I guess manageable um, but it's not all real right <laughs> It's not all real. It's not all unreal. It's somewhere right. in between. Exactly. It's a little <laughs> bit of, of, the, of the good shots. Not always the bad shots don't make it up there. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's talk about those logistics. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but what do you usually use to record? Like a basic rundown of the equipment and recording programs and any of that stuff. Right. So I think my personal preference is I've tried a couple other methods and I think that this so far works out the best is for the recording, luckily enough, I do use Red Door Studio, which is Ryan's podcast area. And what I like about it is just, I think that in podcasts, you can try to cut on a lot of things. Maybe you can do your own editing, you can do your own graphics or anything you want, but I truly Mm -hmm. do believe that sound quality is key. So because of that, I try as much as I can to make the podcast in a podcast room as opposed to doing it online. But just like you, you know, we travel and we try to get people from other countries involved and it doesn't always fit their schedule. And so in that case, we're doing Zoom sometimes. And then you can do that via your phone or via your iPad or computer. And that works relatively well. Or even I've tried Anchor, which is what we're using now. And Anchor is also another option, which is another app. And there's tons of other ways to do that. But I would say that those are the best versions. And And kind of like you mentioned as well, at the beginning, we're trying to sort out how do we record at the same time. And as you mentioned, is making sure that your part sounds good and my part sounds good, right? So that would be always the key. And then I send it off to an editor and I send it off to a voice equalizer to kind of clean it up and add the intro and outro. So we do have some people that we work together with who really do help because that's the one thing I would say, and I'm sure all your guests say the same thing is, can you outsource? And if you can outsource, then you should do that, right? If you can, you do. But I do interview a lot of independent podcasters who haven't monetized yet. So outsourcing is kind of like a future carrot. <laughs> that's what may happen. Yeah. And that's totally okay. And as you mentioned, like if you want to do that and you think that 
I'm going to do it myself and you can go for it, right? Because at the beginning I did that as well. And I just felt maybe two, three hours of editing. If I can outsource, if it makes sense for me and I could focus on work as opposed to doing editing, then I know where my time is being spent. So I guess it just depends on what you want your style to be and how much time you have available as well. But I don't want people to look at a podcast and feel so much time to get into it. It depends on how much time you're willing to invest because there are ways to outsource a lot of the work and then you can still reap the benefits. A part do you really enjoy doing? Keep those and outsource the rest. So if you have the funds and you know it's, you know, it's, it's supporting your business, you know, you can channel money in that direction by all means outsource because I don't know about you, Emily, but I find the talking to people part, the interviewing, the recording, the most fun of right. the entire part of podcasting, right? <laughs> so yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, we do want people to get more involved. So if you, if you feel you can put a budget up that you're willing to kind of take from your own pocket, but grow yourself, grow your brand, grow your speaking skills, grow your networking skills, everything, I feel it's almost a return on investment, right? It basically is like paying your own tuition to a great, I don't know, wine course <laughs> or wine drinking. I mean, <laughs> all expensive go, hobbies. <laughs> and that's no sin. Hey, it's Steph here breaking in. Normally, I have other podcast promotions and other announcements from other people in these breaks, but I actually have a lot of things going on in podcast land that I want to tell you about. So here's three quick announcements for you about podcasting. One is that I am now currently in Berlin, Germany, and I'm starting to, as most of my podcasting experience goes accidentally do some podcasting events. Some of them are listener based to get people into listening podcasts and for some people to just share the ones they like. And some of them are podcaster related where I'm helping beginning podcasters that get stuck in moving forward and where I'm hopefully creating a space for existing podcasters to come together and to help achieve each other's goals kind of an accountability group, so to speak. All of the groups that are available are on my website, stephfuccio.com, and there is a podcast events page there that lists everything. Now, they're not all in Berlin, Germany. I had some feedback from folks saying, oh, I wish something like that existed near me, and da-da-da, that's all I needed to hear. I am starting to set up a parallel universe online. So I've got some events coming up in February, and there's more that I'm going to add to the calendar. So do check out stefuccio.com, the podcast events page. You can also follow me on Eventbrite. That's where I'm announcing and putting all the information for the events. Some of the events are free and some of them do have a small fee. The second thing is that the podcast review month that we had in December of 2019 has now rolled over into podcast review day on the 8th of every month. On January 8th, I was locked out of Twitter, so I was tweeting from a different account, and it it was challenging, but uh, I'm back into my regular Twitter account, and I also have a page at stefuccio.com that can show you the Twitter feed. If you want to just read it instead of be on Twitter itself, you can follow us there. Going forward, we are going to add on more social media platforms, but for podcast rev day, pod rev day, hashtag P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y, we're just reviewing one podcast every eighth of every month in 2020 and hopefully beyond that. It's important to give back to the podcasters that spend a lot of time putting these putting these episodes together. And I breathed a sigh there because it does take a lot of time and a lot of that time is silent and we don't know if what we're doing affects you. Write one review. 
once a month to let the podcasters that you're listening to know that you care about what they're doing. It really, really means a lot to us. Trust me. That'll be on the 8th of every month and there is one coming up tomorrow. There's also instructions at stefuccio.com on the Podrev Day page. And you can also see on my Twitter handle, I have the instructions uh, pinned to there. So it's stefuccio is my handle on Twitter. And the last thing is there is a Geopets podcast listener survey. It's just a few quick questions, but it gives me more of an idea of who's listening, where are they listening from, how are they listening to us, all those kind of really quick things. There's six questions. It's super vast. The link will be in the show notes or at geopets.podbean.com. I really look forward to learning more about you. And that's no sin. I do remember Ryan saying that you were a social media genius. Can you kind of walk us through what you did at the beginning to get Bottled in China going? Yeah, so I definitely am not. I, I'm I'm very grateful Ryan thinks highly of myself of of, of me. But no, um, I think the only thing for Instagram that I have noticed, or even social media, is again I do enjoy outsourcing things just because I do have a full time job. I am doing a master of wine. It's a it's a one of the hardest exams in the world for wine. I have the podcast. Uh, it's nonstop, and I just feel I have to take a lens and look back at my life and say, what like you mentioned, what do I love? What can I do? And what else can I delegate out? So that's what I've applied for everything. But the key things I think are what I do love and, and recommend to people is find your niche, right? So many times you want to be putting pictures of your family in, and I really love family, but I'll keep that for Facebook. So if you have social media and you're trying to build a professional profile, think about every single thing that you post, everything that you do on social media will be seen by your future bosses, your future employees, your future colleagues, and people that work with you. And so that's quite important to be mindful. And And, you know, it goes without saying people do judge, right? And I think we all think about that. And especially if you're looking to brand yourself and brand your podcast or brand your company, you want to make sure you cultivate an image that reflects what you want for your image. So I'm not perfect at it, but I do think that I know that my industry being wine and in a professional way, not just wine and partying, but wine and professional and food and beverage means that I can't put pictures of me drunk, right? Because that would give out the wrong message. Or I would put comments that I love, you know, getting wasted. That's also something wrong. So I think social media is, is actually dangerous because it can ruin your reputation. So I think being wise on how you portray yourself and then choosing images that actually are beautiful. I think it's all visual content. Are you good at visual content? So what are the pictures you think look good, are bright, um, and that that people will be attracted to because there's so many things now and everybody's trying to get a piece of your attention. So try to put out really nice pictures or cool pictures. And, and then I think it's going to work. Did you say you outsourced your social media or you do that yourself? Yeah, I outsourced my social media. So what I did is all these pictures are mine and the caption, but what I do is I let another person to post and to kind of go and engage with other people on social media And then I will answer directly to the comments. And I did that. And I I think this is actually maybe something that could be important to any young woman or anybody who is on social media, but probably especially targeted to us, is I thought social media just took over way too much of my time. So I didn't outsource because I I felt like um, 
I felt that I was better than anybody. Not at all. And I think some people get that perception that you have to be famous to outsource. No, I felt that social media was key because it was some somewhat branding, but I felt it was toxic. And I don't know how many people feel that way, but I'm sure a lot more that we talk about is it's addictive. You know, you wake up in the morning and you see people on Instagram cultivate a perfect life and then you know, you, you compare yourself. But not only that, I felt I was doing 30 minutes a day, or one hour a day. And I felt I should be working or I should be studying my master of wine and I should not be wasting my time. So I felt like completely deleting it off my phone and just being 100% focused in the real moment and what counts. It just gave me peace of mind, but also I felt was liberating. And I didn't have to stop something I didn't like to do. I just move myself away from toxic situations that I felt were just, you know, not moving me forward in the right, in the right way. But it's interesting that you said what half an hour or one hour a day felt like too much because I go in and out of being on social media a lot, depending on how much time I have. So I feel like, and I might be delusional, but I feel like I have kind of control over using it. But I've heard people just talk about spending hours and hours and hours every day on it. And it's amazing to me what people consider too much when it comes to social media. Right. It's different for everybody. If you feel that you can integrate this in a healthy way in your life, I mean, go all for it, right? But I do think the problem is, again, like I look at this kind of as a brand or as a company. And if I'm not, if I'm not doing something with purpose, I don't even want to touch it, right? If it's not going to help me, then what's the point of being on it? So I guess, I guess everybody's different, but I felt one hour was way too much. It wasn't needed. And I just felt like I wasn't benefiting in in learning anything it wasn't intellectually stimulant it was just it was just one of those things where I think can I take that out of my life and continue and I was like yes for sure and I can outsource this and still maintain and that was very key and that is an important point in life and in podcasting is you have to constantly assess is this moving what I'm doing forward or am I kind of wasting am am I even interested because it sounds like you weren't even getting a lot out of it so yeah now that's a really 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 good point well okay so you are in China and as a lot of folks know there is a firewall there do you publish on both sides of the splinter net so I haven't been so good I would say about right now 48% of my listeners are based in the U.S. And only 10% are actually here in China. And the reason is, first, is my podcasts are in English. And a lot of the topics have to do about what's happening in China. So they're not as relevant as they would be for somebody who's living here who already knows the food scene. So I think a lot of it appeals to foreigners who are trying to look into the market and say, well, what's going on? I heard that there's great restaurants. What's about the wine market? What's happening in the beer scene? So that's one of the key things. And I think that that has helped me to brand out of China. And that was one of my goals when I did the podcast was I have my own network here in China. We do our own social media or media um, within our company, etc. So that's quite different. But I, I felt like as a foreigner, if I ever decide to get out of China, nobody knows me, right? Or, or I, I haven't built anything out of the country. So I just felt that that was a way to grow myself out of China and also kind of represent what I was doing because it's still quite niche to be 
in the market in wine for over eight years and to kind of have firsthand experience in the market. So providing that insight is also quite valuable for a lot of wine importers or foodies coming into China, trying to understand how to set up their companies. So I just felt that that was a great bridge between my knowledge and what people would need out of China. So I haven't been able, if you have tips, I'd love to know. <laughs> I don't. I actually made a decision pretty early on to just publish outside of China because it was right. it was so much work. And then the people I knew who were publishing on, for example, like Shimalaya in China or Lychee or what have you, and then outside of China, I, I they, they kept talking about their episodes just randomly coming down and not being able to put them back up or not even knowing that they went down. And so it just, I, I didn't want to put effort into it and have it just disappear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, I just right. kind of, and I knew I wasn't going to be there long, long term. I knew it was going to be two or three years. So I just kind of said, okay, I pick the other side, I guess. <laughs> right. And I think that's one thing that you, I think that's actually quite smart of you. And I think for a lot of people, they're trying to please everybody, right? It's so hard because if you are only to focus on a Chinese podcast and go big on Simulea, maybe you need to have a Chinese speaking podcast, right? That would really, of course, do very well. But then they would also have trouble if they're trying to brand themselves in other markets. So it really is difficult to find the right balance and at least having a strong foundation and growing towards the goal that you set for yourself at the beginning. That's key because there's always going to be ways to grow and you should always keep looking for them. But at one point, you need to know what works for you in your budget and with your time frame. It's such a hard thing to do because you do want everybody to have access to it. And I wish I had... I think that's probably now, now that we're stepping into 2020, I definitely have to reconsider how we're going to do this. But overall, I think because my target is really out of China and kind of bringing light into China, I don't feel that much pressure. Uh, whereas if my target audience was only in China, I would feel that that's a huge thing that I've just missed. It's just, I guess, because I already established who my audience was uh, beforehand. So, and yeah. that that makes so much sense. Like you're the the why you're starting the podcast and the who do you, who is your audience. Those are two really big things to keep in mind. And it sounds like you've had those things on your radar the whole time. So it makes a lot of sense. What podcasting communities uh, ha- are you involved with, in or outside of China, including online, if any? You mentioned Red Door Studio and and that group. Are there any others? You know, not so much. I mean, a lot of the marketing that I do and how we kind of grew the podcast is from building the writing part of what I do. So I write for Neat Pour out in the U.S. This is a kind of cocktail and I guess cocktail and beverage blog, which is in uh, New Orleans. So I write for them as a contributor and that links back to my podcast. I write, I just wrote an article for Wine Folly, who's one of the most, I, I would say, influential wine uh, uh, communicators as well. That links back to my podcast and also drinks business and in various uh, of, uh, I guess, yeah, news outlets. And so that's how I kind of built people back to me. It served two things. It served also branding and it also served of people going back to my podcast and also credibility, right? Because there is one thing about being a great podcast host, but also there is one thing about understanding your market and being a thought leader in your own category. And then your podcast is even more relevant because you're a trustworthy source. So I think that's kind of how I've managed to get garner more attention to my podcast. It wasn't only in podcast communities. It was actually through writing and blogging and uh, contributing to other people in my own community. 
So hopefully it's going to come back uh, slowly as opposed to it being everybody trying to get the same space. It's almost like in-person backlinks or something. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's, it's almost like a backlink because when you would yeah. go on the bottom, then you'd see what I do. Exactly. It's a That's lot more amazing. work though. I'll be honest with you. Now that I'm looking back, oh, yeah. I might as well just join a community. <laughs> <laughs> But but if it's working, keep doing it. I mean, that's the thing. It's right. like it's so it's so different from from person to person, podcast to podcast, industry to industry. That it's just like keep doing stuff until you hit the combination that works, and then keep going until it doesn't. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I mean, I think because podcasts now are kind of really starting to emerge, it's just changing month by month, right? So I guess when we started, even for yourself, it was a very different scene. And there really wasn't so much of a community. And even today, even in Shanghai, there's now a community where they take your name and your podcast and they have a list going on. I felt like when, you know, when Ryan, when Ryan started, um, he started, I think, in 2000 and oh, I don't even remember, 2013 for his China Startup Pulse, he was one of the first. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I laughed at him. I was like, who's going to listen to a podcast? It's (laughs) it's weird. You're such a hipster. And look at that, right? It turned all the way back to me. And um, yeah, now I I can't even say we're hipsters anymore because it's like everyone does it. So it's not very hip. (laughs) It's it's whatever now. (laughs) But he was definitely ahead of the curve. And he was so instrumental in setting it up. And even our company tried to do a podcast. It's so overwhelming, right? Where do you post? Where do you host? How do you get people to listen? How do you record it? And I think the biggest, the biggest, at least my opinion is you need to invest some, some sort of money into it, right? If it's your podcast art, if it's your website, I really do feel that that's key um, because it represents you, right? You want to be proud of what you've built. And I think sometimes we just try to do something without a budget. And I just feel if you can spend just $100 and try to do something with it, you are going to get value back because it's you and it's your name out there and it's for everyone to see. So you should be proud of the quality you're putting out. Very true. A lot of people call it an audio resume or an audio CV, depending on where you are and what term you use. And I think that's really true. People at any time of day can go and listen to what you're doing and get a feel for who you are, what you can do. And I think it can represent you when you're not able to be doing anything. I think that's actually very important is like people are going to hear about it, right? People will know about it and they will judge you. So kind of And again, nothing wrong with that, right? Because you did put it out there for the world. So you might as well make it good. And it's not easy. You know, I think um, so many people now are getting into the podcast space. And I'm sure a lot of the people you interview as well. And I think the hardest thing is not putting out a podcast, but it's consistency and keeping it ongoing as your life changes, as you have more tasks, as you, you know, you move countries just like you did. So it's about consistency, but it's also quite difficult to continue that all the time and try to provide new angles and new new information to share. It's very, very true. It is probably one of the most dynamic areas right now. Who knows what podcasting will be two months from now? <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously, I feel every, everybody is now having one, right? Everyone has a new podcast. So, I mean, it's exciting times, right? Nothing wrong with that. It is. It is. It is. It is. But even so, when people say, oh, there's too many podcasts, I'm like, I don't know. Are there too many movies, too many songs, too many books? I think we're okay. Right. And there's something for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. So two more quick questions for you. Um, You do have a lot of really amazing guests on your show. How do you find your guests? Right. So I think, you know, personally, finding the guest, 
I think is actually one of the hardest thing alongside maintaining it and just continue the, the momentum because I just, I'm always trying to do, you know, a couple hours per week where I go and reach out. And this one I have not outsourced yet. You would be surprised. It's on my 2020 goals to get somebody to take that over. But it is just, I would say some of it's cold calling. Um, that's what I do a lot through LinkedIn. And I also just get contacts from people in, in WeChat groups. I know how scary that probably sounds. And it probably sounds like I'm stalking people on WeChat. Not at all. It's just because I'm in the industry, you get invited into some WeChat groups. And then you notice, oh, that guy's the chef at this restaurant. She's the manager here. And then you just connect on WeChat and see what can work. So I'd say that's the key one. That's how I do some of them. And then also just references from friends. But being in the industry really helps because I just meet people every day. And then I just, you know, after a couple of times, I say, you would be great. Let's try to find time. So that would just be the key one and LinkedIn. But I have to admit, it is very difficult because I do feel that trying to manage it all. So hopefully if I, if I stay true to who I am, I'll have somebody who's going to do that uh, within a month or so. So that will be much better. It's going to be hopefully a lot more people can be on the podcast because somebody else is always doing the outreach and, and organizing the meetings. Fantastic. And where will you put that time once it's gone to somebody else? Definitely into my studies and into yes. work, <laughs> as usual. Oh, for sure. That makes sense. No, no, I don't. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> don't worry. It won't go to waste. <laughs> how, how long is a master's of wine? Is it two years or longer? I mean, it's. A, I think the pass rate is something like ten percent, so it's really, <gasps> really low. And yeah, oh I know gosh. it's one of the most difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. So it could take people between four and eight years to get. Wow! All for all for grape juice, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's so much better than grape juice. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, you're in Germany right now. So if anything, right. you should be enjoying this time. And uh, just amazing wines are from Germany as well. So you'll, you're you're in good hands. But you're a little bit far from the wine area, but you're still in a good country for it. That's okay. There's a train that'll get me there. <laughs> right. <laughs> as far as a podcast listener, do you listen to a lot of podcasts? I do. I 100%. Ryan and I are very strict at home where we don't watch TV. We don't watch movies. We try to really which is probably a little bit too excessive, but we sometimes watch some stuff. But where I'm getting to is I feel that if I have time in the taxi when going to work or I'm going on a business trip or whatever happens, I always go on Spotify. So I think Spotify so far has been the easiest to find all my podcasts. And then I just save and download the episodes beforehand. And I listen to them in the morning. I listen to them, you know, while brushing my teeth, going to bed. So a couple good ones. I mean, there's just so many. I find that HBR, so Harvard Business Review, is excellent for a lot of kind of data and information and researching um, and also has some really great insights for uh, women entrepreneurs. And then who, you know, of course, Oprah, Super Soul Conversations, if I feel that I need some balance in my life. But I'll be really honest, even even that, I mean, I find that these days podcasts are getting quite heavy with infomercial and that's something I'm very against in my podcast I really don't I don't have any sponsors and I do that purposely because I just feel as a listener I don't like it and I feel I just I'm doing this for people that are interested in the content so yeah but you know those are good and then of course for anybody else I mean there's just so many aren't there 
Um, the School of Greatness by Lewis Howes. I don't know if you know him. But he's quite good. I guess they're all motive and and Tony Robbins. Yeah, they're all motivational things. I probably oh, should I change it Tony up. Robbins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you, are there any wine ones, wine podcasts that you listen to? You know what? I know this sounds absolutely horrible because I'm in the industry. I honestly feel, and I know this sounds so bad. I'm trying to even think of one. I feel that so many wine podcasts are a little bit boring. So I don't. <laughs> I know how horrible is that, right? So I mean, I've listened to a couple under sustainable wine growing vineyard. It's about how to manage a vineyard, and let me tell you, I just do that because I'm studying, you know, winemaking, all that stuff. So I feel like I do that for educational purposes, but never would I do it for enjoyment. You know, it's kind of one of those things that you listen to and are just, just waiting for it to be over. So. Mind you, that's probably very rude. But overall, um, I I just think that it's quite because it is a physical product, right? Just like food. So a lot of the podcasts in wine, they really get into technical aspects of the winemaking, and I just feel that even as somebody in the profession, it's just not interesting to listen to, right? If if I'm drinking the wine with the person, wow, what a different experience. That that I would not, I would love. But it's such something that's so tactical and sorry, tactical that I just feel it it's lost when it's translated via you know, a recording. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So keeping in mind that I am going to, this is one of the newer shows on the Geopets podcast. And the goal is to interview podcasters all over the world. What questions are missing? What should I ask future guests? Like you mentioned, I think it's always what are the best practices, right? What are some, or even for some people, I mean, I don't monetize on my podcast, so I wouldn't be the right person, but how do people monetize? Because I think for most people, they want to at least break even, right, in the podcast that they're doing. So that would be great. And then I think in general, just how do people manage it or increase the viewership or et cetera, or li- I guess listener base. But I think what you've mentioned is all, it covers everything. And hopefully whoever does listen to it can, can walk away with some key tips. So can you remind the listeners, is there one place that's the best place to find you and everything that you do online? Right. So you can find me on the website called bottledinchina.com. And that website kind of shows us just stories about our podcast guests, as well as in the podcast section, you can find the links to our Spotify, our iTunes, as well as to Simplecast. And you can also find me on Instagram, as you mentioned, at bottledinchina. So hopefully that provides everybody with a little bit of info and feel free to get in touch with me. I think we're all in this together. Whoever is interested in podcasting, um, it's really exciting. So I wish everybody all the best. Saint Cecilia, I can hear you whispering my name. But today I can't play your game Saint Cecilia You know you're the mistress of my heart But tonight I won't play the part No well, If you love me well, Cure my ills If you need me Then pay my bills well, If you want me then let me know But if you don't Saint Cecilia Let me go Saint Cecilia I have always been in love with you Though you haven't been as true Marcus Aurelius Couldn't end your timeless melody 
could spare the end of me oh. well, If you love me Would you my ills If you need me Then pay my bills If you want me Then let me know But if you don't Saint Cecilia Let me Don't, dear friend Then let this music end But if you do Show me then Amen Amen well, I can hear you Gently bowing on your violin And that's no sin Sweet Cecilia, if you don't mind, I'll softly strum along. I think I know the song. Yeah. Well, if you love me, cure my ills. If you need me, then pay my bills. Well, if you want me, then let me know. Saint Cecilia Oh, if you love me Cure my ills If you need me Pay my bills If you want me Then let me know But if you don't Saint Cecilia Let me go